The most important aspect of life, generally, is perspective. It's perspective. Now, you can think about it this way. Perspective is your pair of spectacles. Maybe it makes it easier to remember. Through which you see all things. There are, indeed, your permanent glasses that you wear in life. And through which you see everything. The magnitude, the color, the size, the shape. Everything, everything you see is determined by your perspective. If your perspective of God is that He is gracious and compassionate and loving and merciful and caring, and that He, His love, abounds forever, then you're going to live your life in obedience to His will in your life out of deep gratitude and thanksgiving for His graciousness toward you. You want to please Him in every way. If your perspective of God is that He is capricious and judging and vengeful and angry, then you're going to live your life in constant state of disobedience, in constant state of inward rebellion, even though you might not manifest it in your life. You might not, but nobody will see it. But inside of you, there is a resentment toward God. If your perspective on life is determined only by what you see with your physical eyes and your surrounding circumstances, I can tell you with certainty that you will be controlled by these circumstances. If your circumstances are good, you're happy. If they're not, you're miserable. And and you're living your life up and down and up and down. But if your perspective is that you are a child of the living God, that you are a child of El Shaddai, the Almighty God, that you are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, that you have been bought with a hefty price, that you have been chosen before the foundation of the earth, that you are an heir and co-heir of the kingdom of God with Jesus Christ, that you are loved with an everlasting love, that God's love for you knows no limit and knows no boundary, then you're going to be living in control of your circumstances. They ain't going to control you. You're going to control them. See, it all depends on your perspective. All depends on your perspective. When you have divine perspective, you will live totally trusting in the purpose of God in your life, even when things are not going great. You won't be able to wake till you wake up in the morning every day because you really are in anticipation of what God is going to do in you and through you that day. When you have the divine perspective, you will not allow pain or fear to control you, but you will be in control of all the circumstances. When you have the divine perspective, you're not going to allow criticism from whether they're legitimate or illegitimate to hamper you and get you down. Why? Because God has your best interest at heart because God is working and reworking all the events in your life for your good and for His glory. And that is why it is of uttermost importance, and we're seeing it in this series of messages over and over again, it is of uttermost importance for every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ to know their importance to Christ. 
The moment you say, I don't matter to God, you're not only making God to be a liar, but you are will on your way to a disaster. Let me tell you with absolute certainty, you show me a joyful and contented and productive Christian, and I will show you a Christian who is obedient to the will of God in his life or her life. You show me a Christian who is not controlled by their circumstances and by the events in their life, and I will show you a Christian who understands his or her riches in Christ Jesus. You show me a Christian who is an overcomer and who is victorious, and I will show you a Christian who not only knows his treasure house, her treasure house in Christ, but they also know how to appropriate those treasure houses in their lives every day. Remember the foundational verse of the whole epistle to the Ephesians that we've been going through. The foundational verse in chapter 1, verse 3. Remember it? Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with how many? Every spiritual blessing. You see, the second half of chapter 1, as we saw together, it was a prayer that Paul is uttering on behalf of the Ephesians, and he was praying for them. And he was praying for them, and it was an important prayer. What was it? That they may come to know the incredible blessings that every blessing that he talks about in verse 1, that they may come to know their limitless resources that they have in Christ Jesus because of what he did for them on the cross. And in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, the second half of chapter 3, there's a second prayer. And this is not just one prayer over here and then another prayer over there. No, no, no. The two prayers are connected. The two prayers are related and interrelated. Because in the first prayer, he prayed that they may know every blessing that they have in Christ Jesus. In the second prayer, in chapter 3, He's praying that they may know how to claim, how to appropriate these blessings in their life. I wanted to hear me right on this one. This is very important. It is one thing to have knowledge. And my goodness, I met a lot of people with a lot of knowledge. <laughs> but it's a different ball game to apply this knowledge into everyday life. You see, it is one thing for me to get a note from the post office that says, you have a very important package waiting for you. And it's a whole different ballgame for me to go to that post office and claim my package. There are a whole lot of people who know so much. That their heads are full of knowledge. They know Christian doctrine. They know Christian theology. They know biblical history. They know even the promises of God. But they do not live out these promises. They do not live out these truths. There are people who even memorize the Scripture, and that's fine. It's a wonderful practice. But they live in spiritual poverty. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul is telling us that we are not only to know that every blessing that we have in Christ Jesus, but that we need to know how to appropriate these blessings day in and day out. Now, we have begun a series of messages entitled, Discover Your Treasure House in Christ, from the epistle to the Ephesians. And first, we saw the content of that treasure house. Then we saw the sufficiency 
of that treasure house. Then we saw the benefits of that treasure house. And today we're going to see the conditions or the qualifications for appropriating the treasure house. By the way, if you read Ephesians 3 carefully and if you're listening, you see Paul starts and says, for this reason, and he almost kind of interrupts himself, and then he gets back to verse 14 and says, for this reason. <laughs> this is very, it's, it's a more clear actually in the original text than in the English text. He sort of almost interrupts himself, interrupts his train of thought. And after he says, for this reason, he's going to go into the prayer and he said, oh, no, no, wait a minute. Let me establish my credentials with the Ephesians. Let me tell them that I am the one who have been commissioned by Jesus Christ to make the mystery known. We saw that in the last message. What mystery? The mystery of the fact that in Christ and in Christ alone, the Gentiles and the Jews will have equal standing with God. That in Christ and in Christ alone, those who were far, the Gentiles, and those who were near, the Jews, are, have become citizens of heaven in Christ and in Christ alone. That enmity that was between us and the Father, that enmity that was between us, between each other, that has been abolished in Christ. And Paul is saying, that's my mission. That's my commission. I told you about it in chapter 2, but here I'm going to tell you that that's my calling in life. You say, what mystery? And why was it a mystery? Good question. (laughs) Because it's all over the Old Testament. The promises of God that He one day, the gospel will reach to the ends of the earth and the Gentiles will come to believe and the church will be established. It's all over the Old Testament. It's from Genesis to Malachi. And you say, why was it a mystery when it is in Ezekiel and it's in Jeremiah, it's in Isaiah, it's in Joel? Ah, the people of God did not understand it. They really did not recite it those verses, but they did not understand it. Let me give you an example. One of many, many, many I could give you. One example is Isaiah 49, 6. There, the prophecy of the day was saying, the God speaking here, and he said, I will make you, talking to Israel, I will make you a light to the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. It's all there. It's all over the Old Testament. Ah, but it was hidden from their eyes until Jesus Christ showed up. They did not understand what that meant until Jesus Christ came and revealed what he meant, what the Scripture meant by that. And so in verses 1 to 13, Paul establishes his credentials, that he is the apostle to the Gentiles, that he is the one to take the good news and tell them that now they can have equal standing because of Christ. And so he, verse 14, he goes back to the train of thought, and he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family on heaven and earth derives its name. What reason? For this reason. What reason? The reason that the Gentiles and the Jews have become one body in Christ. What about this every family in heaven and earth? What is he talking about here? He's talking about the saints of God. Those who lived in the Old Testament looked forward by faith to the coming of Jesus Christ, and those who live in the New Testament look back by faith to the cross of Calvary. From every age, from every generation, those who by faith trusted in Jesus Christ, those who are already in heaven, and those who are still living on earth, they are united in one thing, and that is they are one 
family, regardless of where they are. They are one family, and their name is derived from the name of God because God is their father. You know, we have people running around, even in the churches, are saying that God is the father of all and everybody in the world. He's not. He's not. Only those who have come to Jesus Christ and received Him as the Savior and Lord of their life, they claimed Him as their brother. Only they can claim God as their Father. So what is Paul's prayer? Follow it with me. That the believers may know how to claim the treasure house, how to appropriate the treasure house, but also... He sets those qualifications for a number. Number one, when we are empowered by the Spirit. Somebody said years ago, he said, you know, I wonder how many churches just keep on functioning if there were no Holy Spirit. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I wonder how many Christians' lives would just function if there were no Holy Spirit. Paul said, you cannot do that because you have to live your life empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the way you know whether you are appropriating the Holy Spirit's power in your life day in and day out is when you look back and you see whether you are spiritually growing or not. Let me tell you with certainty that if you are where you are spiritually speaking, exactly where you were 10 years ago, that means you are not growing in the Spirit, that you are not appropriating the power of the Spirit in your life. He said, well, how do I do that? You know, the old country preacher one time put it best. I can't improve on it. So let me tell you what he says. <laughs> he said, once you come to Christ, there are basically two tigers inside of you, and they're nibbling at each other. <laughs> He's taking the words from Galatians, that spirit against the flesh. The tiger that you feed inside of you is the one who's going to get stronger, and the other one's going to get weaker. So the one you starve is going to get weak, and you're going to die slow death. But the one you feed is going to get strong. The one you regularly feed upon the Word of God, the new nature, is going to become powerful in your life. And that is the way to claim the Spirit's power in your life. You will spiritually grow. And when you spiritually grow, sin will be stunted. You don't have to even worry about it. You don't have to sit there and focus on it. Because by nature, as you feed your spirit, that sin will be stunted. It will die, slow death. Beloved, listen to me. To appropriate the riches of God, to appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit of God, to appropriate every blessing that is yours in Christ, you must starve sin and feed your new nature in Christ every single day. We are to be empowered by the Spirit of God. Secondly, to be indwelt by Christ. Look at verse 17. And now some of you are probably saying, well, Michael, you told us so many times that the moment you come to Christ, that the Holy Spirit indwells you. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and that is absolutely true. Absolutely true. Yet, the Christ life, the Christ-like life, the growing like Christ every day, theologians have a big word for it, and most of us kind of mumble at it, and it's called sanctification. Can you say sanctification with me? It means a daily being sanctified, becoming more like Christ. That is a long process. It takes time. There are people running around and said, you can experience something that happens to you and you won't feel sin anymore. And when I start reading the Scripture, Scripture said it's a process. 
It's daily dying to self, daily living for Christ, daily dying to self, daily living for Christ. Let me put it this way. Maybe a good illustration would help you. When the president of the United States goes to a city somewhere, he has an advanced team. And the advanced team goes ahead of him and prepare everything and make sure that everything is taken care of, minutest details. And you stay there until he leaves, and you live with him. You can think about the Holy Spirit as Christ's advanced team <laughs> that comes into our life. And we saw in the last message, we were dead, dead, dead in our spirits. And the Holy Spirit came in and revived us. And all of a sudden, we realized that we're sinners and we need Christ and we need His forgiveness and we need His mercy. He woke us up and began to prepare our hearts for the indwelling of Christ. But listen to me very carefully. For Christ to reside in a place, for Christ to dwell in a heart, for Christ to be inside of you, He cannot come as a guest. He cannot come as a tenant. He cannot come as a temporary dweller just when you're feeling spiritual and then He leaves when you don't. (laughs) He has to come as the owner. He has to come as the presider. He has to come as the proprietor of your heart. How does that happen? This is how it happens. The more space you give Him in your life, the more room you give Him in your life, the more properties in your heart and life and in your mind you cede to Christ, the more He occupies, the more areas of life He controls, the more indwelling, the more living, the more residing He becomes in your life. We are to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, to be indwelt by Christ. Thirdly, we are to be mastered by love. Verses 18 and 19. You see, the more room you give Christ in your life, the more control you give Him of your life, the more He reveals to you His indescribable love. The more you welcome Him, the more love you experience, the more He exercises lordship over your decisions, over your finances, over your calendar, over your relationship, the more He displays His love in you and through you to others. I've seen people running around and saying, you know, I've got to be more loving. In fact, they're gritting their teeth so hard, they're almost breaking their jaws. I've got to love some more. I've got to be more loving. I've got to be more loving. Look, it doesn't work that way. Listen, don't waste your time. It doesn't work that way. It is not a will thing. Listen, please. Love is an attitude of selflessness. It's not warm and fuzzy feeling, and I'm not, I'm not against warm and fuzzy feelings. They're fine in their place, but that's not the love the Bible talks about. When you give Christ more room in your life, you cannot help but being loving. You say, how? Oh, because He is going to love through you. And when you become rooted and grounded and established in love, you will begin to comprehend the vastness of God's love, the completeness of God's love, the totality of God's love. You'll begin to comprehend how broad, 
His love is that encompasses every whomsoever would come to Him. You will comprehend how long His love is that will extend throughout all of eternity. You will comprehend how deep His love is to go down to the lowest of the law. You will comprehend how high His love is that lifts you high and exalts you into the heavens. When we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, when we are indwelt by Christ, when we are mastered by love, fourthly, when we are filled with His fullness, verse 19, that you may be filled up to all fullness of Christ. How does that work? Every time you give Jesus more space, more territory, every time you give Him more control, every time Jesus takes more territories in your heart, the more He occupies. And the more He occupies, the more of His presence is going to fill you to overflowing. Will fill your heart, will fill your mind, will fill your thoughts, will fill your emotions, and will fill your intellect until you become so overflowing that people around you bringing their buckets in in order to catch some of the overflow. I want you to hear me right. There's no way on earth that we will be able to comprehend the love of God this side of heaven. No way. And that is why I believe we're going to be spending all of eternity just comprehending the incredible love of God. But for now, during this life, the Apostle Paul said, here are the four qualifications. Here are the four conditions for you and for me to appropriate this incredible pyramid that he gives us in verse 20. First, he said, God is able. And then he says, no, 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 he's more than able. He is able to do more, exceedingly, abundantly more. No, 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 not just exceedingly, abundantly more. In fact, he's able to do what you can never imagine with your human mind. And he would do it for you. He will surprise you every single day. When you and I yield all to God, our opinions, our pride, oh my goodness, our self-will, watch out. Watch out. Because God is going to surprise you. And He's going to surprise you with ways that you never thought possible. Exceedingly, abundantly, beyond what you can comprehend. Beloved, let me ask you this as I conclude. Only you know what territories in your life that you have closed the door to God and said, this is my area. This is my. That room is locked up. Only you know what it is. Is it finances? Is it relationships? Is it an unwholesome relationship? Is it chemical dependency? Is it fear, trusting in God? You know what it is. He knows what it is. And that's all that really matters. Whatever it is, let me plead with you. Bring him to Christ today. Whatever area in your life or areas that he's not in total control of, you can say, Lord Jesus, I give you that. I surrender it to you. 
I cede it to you because I want you to come. I want you to preside in me so that I may be empowered by the Holy Spirit, that I may be indwelt by Christ, that I may be mastered by love, that I may be overflowing. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.